It's good to be here and and share with you in this way this evening. In March of 1991, Reader's Digest ran this story. David, who came from a big city, wasn't prepared for the approach rural Maine businessmen take toward their customers. Shortly after David moved there, he rented a rototiller. The store owner showed him how it worked and explained that the charge was not based on how many hours he had it out, but rather how long it was actually used. Looking over the tiller for some kind of a meter, David asked, how will you know how long I've used it? With a puzzled look, the owner simply said, you will tell me. In September of the same year, Senator Dan Coates told the story of a high school values clarification class conducted by a teacher in Teaneck, New Jersey. A girl in the class had found a purse containing $1,000 and returned it to its owner. The teacher asked for the class's reaction. Every single one of her fellow students concluded the girl had been foolish. Most of the students contended that if someone is careless, then they deserve to be punished. When the teacher was asked what he said to the students, he responded, well, of course, I didn't say anything. If I come from the position of what is right and what is wrong, that I'm not their counselor, I can't impose my views. And so there we have two stories, different individuals, one story where we have integrity, one where we have a lack of integrity. As was mentioned, our topic is discipline of integrity. Before we begin, I think we will um, try and define what is integrity. What does integrity mean to you? This is Bible school, and we need lots of interaction tonight. What does integrity mean? Someone take a shot at defining that. We already heard Leon's definition earlier. What is integrity? Soundness. Soundness? Thank you. Someone else. Doing the right thing, someone else. Honoring your commitments, that's a good one. Someone else. Honesty, someone else. All done. It sounds to me like we know what integrity is. We know what integrity means. I believe you are a people of integrity. And so what I want you to do as we work our way through this message tonight, I want you to think about 
How did you become a person of integrity? How do you remain a person of integrity? Is there some life lesson that you've learned along the way that reminds you that you need to be a person of integrity? Or is there a person in your life that taught you to be a person of integrity? I want you to think about that because we're going to come back to that and, and we're going to have some discussion about how we, how we became and how we maintain as persons of integrity. I like a quote by M.H. McKee, and it kind of goes along with one of the definitions that we heard about uh, what integrity is. M.H. McKee says, wisdom is knowing the right path to take, and integrity is taking it. Wisdom is knowing the right path to take, integrity is taking it. Knowing what the right thing to do is, and then following through by doing it. The title of our subject, Discipline of Integrity, indicates that integrity is something that doesn't come to us by default. Discipline of integrity indicates that integrity doesn't come to us by default. It's not something we lean towards. Rather, it's a character trait that requires discipline to develop. And we'll come back to that as well later. The Day America Told the Truth is a book based on an extensive opinion survey that guaranteed the ambiguity of the participants. This survey was done over a, a large population here in America and the individuals who participated were guaranteed that no matter what they answered, no one would know how they answered. And so they were free to, to uh, answer honestly. This survey revealed an alarming crisis of lack of integrity in America. Only 13% of Americans said they see all Ten Commandments as binding upon us today. 13% of Americans say, yes, the Ten Commandments are all still applicable to today. 91% confess they lie regularly at work and at home. 91% of Americans confess they lie regularly at work and at home. Most workers own up to goofing off an average of seven hours per week. Five-day work week, that's the better part of one of those days that is shot. They've done nothing profitable for their employer. Half America's workers admit to, at one time or another, calling in sick when they were perfectly well. This survey posed this question, what are you willing to do for $10 million? A, abandon your family. 25% said they would abandon their families for $10 million. B, serve as a prostitute for one week. 
23% said they would. Pay me. Kill a stranger. 7% said they would. Think about that for a moment. You're in a crowd of, of 100 people in a public place. That, that doesn't take much of a crowd. According to this survey, 7 out of 100 would be willing to kill you if the price was right. R. Kent Hughes in his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, writes, even casual observers can see the demise of integrity in the whole range of American culture. In my own words, it's not rocket science. You don't have to look real hard to see that integrity across the American culture is in a downward spiral. Back to the day America told the truth, this survey went on to point out an interesting discovery from the survey about ethics in the workplace. It goes on to say current ethics at work are low, but they would be a lot lower if it were not for a great number of women who entered the workforce in recent years. The survey reflects that women in this country behave more ethically than men do. On every question probed, women held to a higher moral standard than men. Less than half as many women as men believe the only way to get ahead is to cheat. Less women believe politics rather than hard work is the way to success. Women were found to be much less willing to compromise values. Women were found to be more willing to quit as a matter of principle if they learned the company they worked for was involved in something illegal. If valuable company property is stolen, the thief will be a man six times out of seven. Men, this natural tendency to stray from integrity amongst the male gender is worth paying attention to. I don't know what all the underlying factors are, but men clearly are prone, more prone, to walk away from a life of integrity. We can say, but those statistics are the American culture at large. And that's true. They are. Unfortunately, there is little statistical difference between the religious and the non-religious. Gallup statistics say 43% of non-churchgoers admit to pilfering supplies from their workplace, compared to 37% among churchgoers. 43% of non-churchgoers admit to pilfering supplies from the place they work. 37% of professing churchgoers admit to doing the same. That's only a 6% difference. America Told the Truth again finds this. Christians 
are almost as likely as non-Christians to falsify tax returns. According to their uh, uh, survey, those who identified as Christian and non-Christian, very little difference in those willing to falsify tax returns. Christians are almost as likely to commit plagiarism. Almost as likely to bribe to obtain a building permit. Almost as likely to ignore construction specs. Almost as likely to illegally copy software programs. Almost as likely to steal time, exaggerate a product, tell people what they want to hear, or selectively obey the law. The bottom line is, across the board, America has an integrity crisis. The reason for this integrity crisis is because we are fundamentally dishonest people. Apostle Paul makes this observation about the depravity of man in Romans 3, 9 and 10, and then verse 13, it reads like this. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Their, verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. It doesn't matter what our nationality is, whether we have descended from God's people of old or descended from a pagan Gentile race. We have this sin nature, this bend towards being fundamentally dishonest. And that includes each one of us as conservative Anabaptist Mennonites as well. Years ago, I worked for Martin's Country Market, and one day I was approached in the store by an older, conservative, church-going man. He was pretty well off in this world as far as um, wealth and so on was concerned, and he said to me, he said, the other day I got a gallon of milk, and when I went to use it this morning, it was sour. What are you going to do about it? And I said, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, we'll go back and get you another gallon of milk. I said, I'm kind of baffled how that could happen. You know, we keep the milk rotated and so on. And, and not sure how that happened, but we apologize. Here's another gallon of milk. And he was on his way. A week or two later, he stopped me in the store again. And he said, I need to talk to you. The other day when you gave me a gallon of milk, he said, I only told you half the story. He said something like, I don't know why I did it. I, I can afford milk. I have never done anything like this before. But for some reason, I told you only half the story. The other half is I forgot to take the milk in the house when I got home that day. 
it sat in the summer heat in my pickup truck till I remembered it a number of hours later. And he said, in response to my mistake, I went and threw away my integrity. He wanted to pay for the milk, and I said, well, I'm not really concerned about the price of the milk. It's not a big deal. But I said, that integrity that you threw away, what you just did here is restore your integrity. My point is this. We need to be on guard. Even as professing born-again believers, we are susceptible to walking away from a life of integrity. I'm going to quote again from R. Kent Hughes. He says, No one has to instruct us in the art of dishonesty. Even once we're regenerated, if we don't discipline ourselves, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we return to deceit like a duck to water. Even once we're regenerated, if we don't discipline ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we return to deceit like a duck to water. I've learned that lesson in my own life, and I'm sure some of you have as well. We need to be on guard, even as born-again believers. The biblical idea of integrity has the um, idea of completeness. A person of integrity is a person who is whole. Our English word is derived from a Latin word, integritas, meaning wholeness, entireness, completeness. Integrity characterizes the entirety of the person, not just part of him. A person who has integrity is righteous through and through. A person who has integrity, because of what he believes in his heart, he lives, he lives that out in his life as well. As a professing believer, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, then I respond and act in a certain way as well. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 15. Psalm 15. Psalm 15, 1, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, excuse me, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. This passage here has a lot of phrases in it that describe a person of integrity. And so look down through those verses and 
start to call them out. What are, what are the phrases that you see in there that describe a person of integrity? Speak, speak up, I have a, a, a bit of trouble hearing, let's put it that way, so shout them out. There we go. Yep. Yep. Good. Good. Love his neighbor. Yep. Look at the end of verse 4. It says, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. What does that mean? He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. I think that has the idea, we heard it earlier in the definition of integrity, uh, keeping, keeping our word. You know, we give somebody our word about something, and then we discover later that this is actually going to cost me. I'm not going to make money on this, and we honor our word. I think that's what that's talking about there. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. And I'm not saying that uh, I'm not in the building business. I'm not saying that you can't give somebody a price to maybe it's to build them a house and then things change and you realize that you're not going to make money, you're going to lose money. I'm not saying you can't go back to that individual and say, hey, this is, this is what I was, this is what I, what I quoted you. This is what has happened. Can we work this out? But if the individual, my understanding is if the individual doesn't budge, a person of integrity keeps his word at their own expense, even though it costs me. Verse 5 is interesting as well. He that putteth not out his money to usury. Can anybody tell us what that means? Don't charge interest. Ouch. What about Anabaptist Financial? I actually asked some people uh, that were somewhat connected to Anabaptist Financial. I told them I wanted an answer on this, but I haven't got one yet. Uh, I. I don't have the answer for that, but that is an interesting phrase that has caught my attention a number of times. He that putteth not out his money to user. If I understand history right, the Israelite people were not allowed to charge interest on their money when lended to another Israelite. That would be my understanding of history. 
if I'm wrong, you can correct me on that. And so, does that mean we, as uh, Anabaptist people, shouldn't be charging each other interest? I don't know, it's some food for thought. Anything else in this passage that jumped out to you? As you read down through Psalm 15 here, this is who we as believers are to aspire to be by God's grace and the indwelling power of his spirit. Am I, are you the kind of person that is described in Psalm 15? Back to surveys for a moment here. Surveys indicate that the most common reason for lying is to cover up something we have done wrong. The most common reason for lying is we tend to want to cover up something we did wrong. How do we respond when we do something wrong? The second most popular reason is to keep things emotionally pleasant. We, we will withhold the truth for the sake of peace. In other words, Lester has uh, his version of a story, and I'm not saying Lester lacks integrity here, but Lester has his very, I doubt he does. I, I think he was at faith a couple weeks ago with this subject. But Lester has his version of a story or, or some event, and I know what the truth is, but I don't want me and Lester to be at odds with each other, so I say nothing. We suppress the truth or conceal the truth for the sake of peace. We may not lie to cover our mistakes. We may not withhold the truth for the sake of peace. But what about our dealings with each other? Do they lack integrity? Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Think about the second half of this verse. They that deal truly are his delight. Am I, are you, true in your dealings with each other and with other people from day to day. The story is told of three contractors who were touring the White House on the same day. One was from New York, another from Missouri, and the third from Florida. At the end of the tour, the guide asked them, what did they do for a living? When they each replied that they were contractors, the guide said, hey, we need one of the sections of the fence in the rear yard here, we need that repaired. Why don't you guys take a look at it and submit a bid? So back to the fence they go, and first up was the Florida contractor. He takes out his tape measure and does some measuring and do, does some figuring and, and uh, says, I figure the job will run about $900, $400 for materials, $400 for my... Men and $100 in profit for me. Next up was the contractor from Missouri. He also takes out his tape measure and his pencil and 
does some measuring and figuring, and he says, it looks like I can do this job for $700. $300 for my materials, $300 for my crew, and $100 in profit for me. Then the guide asked the New York contractor how much. Without so much as moving, the contractor says that'll be $2,700. The guide incredulously looks at him and says, well, you didn't even measure like the other guys. How did you come up with such a large figure? The, That's easy, says the contractor from New York. That's $1,000 for me, $1,000 for you, and we hire the guy from Missouri. We can laugh. It is funny. But the truth is, that is the world in which we live today. Business gets done without integrity every day in the world we live. God has blessed the Anabaptist people with a good work ethic. As a result, many of his people have become successful in business. Unfortunately, the way the world does business has caused too many professing believers to sacrifice integrity to further their career or grow their business. We live in a world where integrity is under attack. It is not as commonplace amongst God's people as it ought to be. What can we do to become a people of integrity and remain that way? And I'm going to stop talking for a bit, and I want to hear from you. I believe that you are a people of integrity. How did you become a person of integrity? How do you maintain that in your life? Is there someone in your life who taught you or, or uh, illustrated what it is to be a person of integrity. I want to hear from you. Who will be first? Someone else.
someone care to share a life lesson they learned about integrity? that but one thing that comes up in every congregation is exactly what Leonard just said most I don't know all of you but most of my guess is most of us sitting in here grew up in, in an environment where we had godly parents grandparents who taught us by example what a life of integrity is we saw that fleshed out before our eyes from little on up. And I think we really underestimate the blessing of that. I think we, we really can't imagine the full impact of, uh, that that has had on our lives. There are individuals, I, I know an individual that, that uh, I work with that did not have that experience. And sometimes you think, how do you not know that? Or how do you not know better? They didn't have the same uh, growing up years that we had where things like integrity were ex a, a living example, you know? Anyone else yet? All right. There are individuals in life that have a really high moral standard, and I heard Lester refer to this maybe in a little bit different way, but um, there are individuals in life that have a really high moral standard. We would say they're people of integrity. And, and I think that's right. They, they do have integrity. There are individuals who who are unsaved, they're not born-again believers, and yet their, their ethics and, and high moral standard would be worthy of saying they're people of integrity. But I would say this, integrity in the biblical sense is maybe a little bit more than that. Integrity in the biblical sense has this idea of completeness, the complete person. And so I, I think to be a person of integrity and remain a person of integrity in the biblical sense would be we would need to have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do that. 1 John 4, 4 says, You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Like it or not, the sin nature that you were born with is stronger than you are by yourself. That's a fact. The fact that the Bible says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God tells us that this sin nature that we're born with 
is stronger than our own ability to live a life that's God-honoring and holy and righteous. The only way to live a life of integrity to the fullest is we need to repent of our sin and allow the spirit of an almighty God to take up residence in our lives. As we allow that spirit to dwell within us, he conveys to us wisdom and empowers us in time of temptation. Our subject tonight was referred to as the discipline of integrity for a reason. A life legacy as a person of integrity is won by working at day by day, opportunity by opportunity, knowing what the right thing to do is, and then faithfully following through. No, we will not be a perfect people. That's what the cross is for. But let's not let that be an excuse for not striving to be a person of integrity tomorrow. Failing in this area of integrity ought to be an exception rather than the norm. We ought to be known, we ought to have a reputation of being a person of integrity. That ought to be our practice, our lifestyle. We walk in integrity. It is interesting how one victory stacked upon another in this area of integrity begins to build a pattern in our lives where we can become habitually a person of integrity. One right decision after another, and you just build on that, And it can be a habit to be a person of integrity. American businessman and president of Bylow's stores in the 1970s, Frank Outlaw is credited with saying, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character for it becomes your destiny. We must discipline ourselves to be people of integrity. The earlier we start in life, the better off we will be. I will close with this. He was 11 years old and went fishing every chance he got from a dock at his family's cabin on an island in the middle of New Hampshire Lake. On the day before the bass season opened, he and his father were fishing early in the evening, catching some fish with worms. Then he tied on a small silver lure and practiced casting. The lure struck the water and caused the colored ripples in the sunset, thin silver ripples as the moon rose over the lake. When his pole doubled over, he knew something huge was on the other end. His father watched with admiration as the boy skillfully worked the fish alongside the dock. Finally, he gingerly lifted the exhausted fish from the water. It was the largest one he had seen, but it was a bass. 
The boy and his father looked at the handsome fish, gills playing back and forth in the moonlight. The father lit a match and looked at his watch. It was 10 p.m., two hours before the season opened. He looked at the fish, then at the boy. You'll have to put it back, son, he said. Dad, cried the boy. There will be another fish, said his father. Not as big as this one, cried the boy. He looked around the lake. No other fishermen or boats were around in the moonlight. He looked again at his father. Even though no one had seen them, nor could anyone ever know what time he had caught the fish, the boy could tell by the clarity of his father's voice that the decision was not negotiable. He slowly worked the hook out of the lip of the huge bass and lowered it into the black water. The creature swished its powerful body and disappeared. The boy suspected that never again would he see such a great fish. That was 34 years ago. Today the boy is a successful architect in New York City. His father's cabin is still on the island in the middle of the lake. He takes his own son and daughters fishing from the same dock. He was right. He has never again caught such a magnificent fish as the one he landed that night long ago. But he does see that same fish again and again, every time he comes up against a question of ethics. Dads, I saw some young children here. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Father God, we say thank you for an opportunity to gather in your house and look into your word again tonight. We say thank you for the instruction that we find there. We say thank you for forgiveness when we err in this area of integrity. We also say thank you for the indwelling power of your spirit, that we can be a people of integrity, that we can walk in righteousness and holiness and and, and um, be a person of integrity, a person to be trusted. I just pray a special blessing upon each one of your people here this evening. I pray as we go from this place that you would be honored and glorified with the lives that we live, that we would reflect you, Jesus, in such a way that many would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before the day of opportunity is closed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.